The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. There we go, a little late on the lights, but that's okay. We still paid our power bills, so praise God for that. Um, hey, if you're wondering who's playing guitar on there, that was me for that video. So, no, it wasn't me. I, it's, I know. The worship team makes fun of me all the time because I own a guitar, but I'm no good at music, so that's just how it goes. Um, today is a special day um, for us here at the Grove Church because um, if you can see, this is, uh, this is Ryan Lawfer on my shirt, and uh, it is his birthday today, so there's a little happy birthday. It's a good time. Um, if you see some of these pictures, some of you might remember some of these moments. Some of you might wonder. Some of you might go, oh, that's Ryan. I thought that was Aaron. But anyways, that's okay too. Um, if that's happened, you feel free to repent in the lobby. Um, of course, Ryan right now is doing our online campus. So as you're watching online, make sure you type in a little happy birthday to him. Um, and he'll be up here in the lobby here after that. But um, it's his birthday. He is 42 today. Does not look a day over 19. Clearly that's the case. But um, anyway, we just wanted to do a little celebration. So that's what's going on. That's why I got this ridiculous shirt on. If you're looking for a place to land today, you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 56. We're in a a series called Dear Psalms, Thank You, and uh, we'll take a look here in a moment at Psalm 56. Uh, Some of you... As, as many of us, we had a giant party here on Sunday, a couple Sundays back, October 31st. Just a giant carnival, a lot of volunteers. Some of us here were tearing down lights and, and getting things packed up and shutting things down and heading home and going to bed. And somehow, some of you in this room literally felt like November 1st, as the clock strikes midnight, you're putting up your tree and your lights. And I just, I, I, I struggle with that. Um, only because there is a holiday wedged between Halloween and Christmas. Um, And what I want to say to you, if you're one of those with your tree up and your ornaments and all this stuff, is just a a simple three-word phrase that you might want to memorize. And it goes like this, let it breathe. (laughs) I know, super anticlimactic. Anyways, um, no, there, there, there's, there's uh, this holiday, and I think that one of the things about Thanksgiving that, that it's, it's maybe easy to sort of mow right over is that for advertisers, it's really hard to monetize. Um, and so for Christmas or for Halloween, there's all kinds of things, buy candy and ornament, all this crazy stuff. And, and yet for Thanksgiving, it's like, I don't know about you, but I don't even own a, own a cornucopia. Can I just, anybody own one? Okay, that was my word of the day, by the way. So congratulations if you do. But I think it's hard to monetize a holiday like Thanksgiving. And so I think it's easy for it to get skipped over sort of because of that reason. I love how um, there's a comedian, I love stand-up comedy. There's a comedian named Jim Gaffigan that talks about Thanksgiving. And he says, what is it with Thanksgiving? All we do is overeat. And and he's like, well, what if we just overeat with people that annoy us a lot? And so that was kind of his take on Thanksgiving. And I'm not looking at anyone in particular when I say that. So just to be clear, but today I want to talk about Thanksgiving, not specifically the holiday, but the power of the word thanks or the idea of gratitude. And I'm gonna start by looking at 1 Samuel. We'll get to Psalm 56 here in a moment. But as you go to 1 Samuel, it comes before Psalms. It's towards the beginning of your Bible a ways, not not too far towards the beginning. But in the nation of Israel, Saul was the first king. And Saul is is, is anointed king and he kind of does the king thing. But there's a point while he's king that his heart turns away 
from God. He becomes prideful and he begins to make decisions in disobedience, which is a whole nother sermon for another day about our ability to sort of become prideful and then walk in disobedience. But it says specifically in 1 Samuel that God rejected Saul as king because he had broken his covenant the way he was supposed to carry out being a king under the lordship of of God. And so not too long after that, a prophet is sent to the house of a guy named Jesse who has a whole bunch of sons and he's supposed to anoint a king. And some of you remember this story and all the sons line up and the Lord kind of impresses upon this prophet. It's not this one. It's not this one. It's not this one. And finally he's like, well, is there another one? Because somehow God is saying no to all of these. And they're like, oh yeah, we have a younger one, but he's out tending sheep. Bring him in. And they bring him in. And David is this guy and he's anointed to be the next king. That's unusual in, in kind of you know, the imperial kingship world because typically it's the firstborn son of the current king that becomes the next king. So this is a bit unusual, but it has to do with Saul's disobedience. So David is anointed king, and then you get to the story in 1 Samuel 17 of what we call David and Goliath. And here's David, and, and there's this battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, but they're, nobody's battling. They're just lining up every day, and they go back and eat, and they line up the next day, and 40 days that goes on. And David shows up, and he's like, what, what is this guy doing? He's defying God. He's saying all these mean things. He needs to knock it off. And David, long story short, kills Goliath and Saul kind of takes note of who this is. And and little by little, David is entrusted with more and more power in Israel under Saul. And at one point, because Saul is tormented because of his disobedience, he's tormented. And David plays music really well. So he has David come and play for him and it soothes him and, and stuff. And as time goes on, David finally becomes in charge of Saul's whole bodyguard. And that's kind of a big deal. But Saul is more and more jealous. And over time, Saul hears, hey, this David is gonna be the next king. Well, that's a problem because what he wants is his son Jonathan to be the next king. So he's jealous, he gets more and more angry, the bitterness comes in, and he finally wants David to be killed. Well, as this is happening, um, Jonathan and David become really good friends. And Jonathan is somehow, he's okay that David's gonna be the next king. And he's like, it's all good, I'm good with it. And there's a a point where they have this banquet. And this banquet isn't like a one-day thing. This is like a multiple-day celebration. And David doesn't show up. And Jonathan has been told by David, just so you know, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, he's not trying to kill you. If he were, I would know, trust me. And he's like, no, no, he is. So David doesn't show up to this banquet. And on day one, Saul's like, well, where's David? And of course he wants to know because he does want to kill David. And Jonathan's like, oh, you know, he couldn't be here. And he kind of writes it off. The next day, he doesn't show up again. And Jonathan says, well, he had to go to be with his family to do this thing. And Saul realizes he's being duped by his own son. And that's where in 1 Samuel 21, it says this, um, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's the PG version. (laughs) The the, the real word is W-H-O-R-E, just so you know. I mean, he literally says, you son of of, of a whore. Don't you know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me for he must die. 
Needless to say, Jonathan at this point is well aware that he does, that Saul does want David to be killed. And you can imagine, he's like, whoa, whoa, dad, why don't we take care of getting some counseling for you? Why don't we work on your emotional intelligence? Like this isn't going well. This isn't the right approach. Well, that's not exactly what happens. And from here, David flees and hides away from Saul. But David is wondering where to go to be safe. Well, where does he end up going? He ends up going to the Philistines. What he thinks is that's the best place to hide because they're at war with Israel constantly. So he goes and hides among the Philistines. And and when you look at it, um, it it says that that day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Look at verse 12. It says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So, and I love this picture. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Imagine that. Here's King David. You're like, here, you just won an Academy Award. Great performance. Because the king says this, Look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he's hiding in a cave and and this is where, somewhere in this context is where he pens the words to Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. And we're gonna take a look at Psalm 56 here in a moment. But I want you to consider a couple of things as David is gonna write these words hiding in a cave. One, his own people, the king of his nation, the Israelites, wants him dead. And at multiple times during this period, Saul has sent all kinds of troops to go find him, all kinds of soldiers to go track him down so that they can arrest him or kill him on the spot. So David, his life is on the line with his own people. But then he goes to the Philistines and he realizes his life is on the line with them too. This is like Alexander and the horrible, no good, very bad day, right? This is terrible. And so here's David hiding in a cave. And this is the context where he writes Psalm 56. Look at these words, verse one. Be merciful to me, my God. For my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack. I love how, There's a lot of Psalms that you can read that you don't necessarily have context to. But this is one of those where we can look back and know exactly the context he was in. So when he says, all day long they're pursuing me, he's talking about the Philistines and his own nation, Israel, and Saul in particular. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, and they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Or another translation talks about in a bottle. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? 
I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Those are the words of a man whose life is on the line and he's hiding in a cave. And I don't know what season you're in and I don't know what you've been through. I do know that in this room right now, there are individuals that I'm praying for because you're going through a dark, dark time because you and I have had conversations about where is God and what is happening. And I wanna challenge any one of us that, that no matter what you go through, no matter what trial you face, no matter what difficulty that you're experiencing right now, what does it look like for you to have the same heart as David would have? Because he opens up his lament here. He opens it up with confidence. Be merciful to me, my God. How many of us in our deepest, darkest trials have cried out, God, I need your mercy. Anybody out there besides me? There's something about in the midst of whatever it is that we face, our ability to confess, oh God, I need your mercy right now. Oh God, I need your help right now. And here's David in a cave running for his life. And by the way, the trial isn't over just because he escaped Gath. The trial isn't over just because he's away from Saul. As you continue through the pages, by the way, the whole history I just gave you is simply 1 Samuel chapters 15 through 20. That's it. Into 21, and then there's a bunch more chapters of, of literally David running for his life. He opens up with that phrase, be merciful to me, my God. My enemies are pursuing me. They long to press their attack. And it's a great reminder, a great challenge for you and I. But look at what happens. In verse two, he says, my enemies pursue me all day. In their pride, they attack me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mortals do to me? His mind is jumping all over the place. Anybody ever been there? When you face a trial, when you're confused about what's going on, there's something about our, our, our mind that's trying to put the pieces together. And it's like monkeys jumping around a banana tree, right? Or our mind, and David is in the same place. God, I need your mercy. They're attacking me, but I praise you. I praise your word. What can mortals even do to me? But God, they keep coming after me. And he's bouncing from topic to topic, but it's not unintentional. He's bringing his lament before his God. Here's all that's going on. And that's really a picture of prayer. Sometimes we wonder what our prayer life ought to be like, or we wonder how to pray. And the Psalms often gives us a beautiful picture of what it means to pour out our honesty. But even the idea at, at a certain point here, when you get to verse seven, he, he talks about God in your anger, bring the nations down. What is he talking about? He's not talking about the whole world. He's not talking about all the nations. In this context, he's talking about the Philistines and King Saul, who's got problems and wants him murdered. Bring them down, deal with them. In the trials that you and I face, in the tests of our faith we go through, what is your perspective? Well, where does your head go when in those moments things feel so overwhelming? And are you able to cry out to God? Or, or do, you, do you bottle it up? Or are you quicker to make a phone call than rant to someone else and throw in a bunch of four-letter words? Are you quicker to do other things? Peter says, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. I think I've mentioned this even recently. 
on a Sunday. Peter says, talking about these trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter literally says the trials that you and I face are a refining process. And it's a whole other sermon I could get into about the refining process and, and things I've read about the details of it, how it works and the dross and getting rid of it and becomes more and more pure. But there's something about the trials that we face that Peter says they're bringing a purity to us. They're shaping our character. They have the ability, and I say that carefully because it's, it's, it's not always the case. They have the ability to increase our faith. But if we fall prey to the trial, it's easy for us to live in bitterness. It's easy for us to pick up a habit. It's easy for us to, to, to go towards other things and pretty soon it's a bottle that soothes what we're going through. It's a relationship that soothes what we're going through. It's our wrath that we, we punch a hole in our windshield or in the sheetrock in our house or we lash out in anger in some way and we have to pay to pick up the pieces later because we do something we shouldn't do. Trials have the ability to build our faith. But if we don't pass the test in the midst of it, it's amazing what we can destroy, including our own lives. David says, God, I need your mercy. He says, people that I'm being attacked everywhere. He's hiding in a cave. I'm being attacked everywhere, but I trust you. I, I, I'm not gonna be afraid of what mortals can do to me. I love that he's challenging himself. He's probably alone if not with a small band of people, but he's probably alone. All day long, they twist my words. He had tried to tell Saul a few times already, I'm not, I'm not after you. I'm not after the kingship. I'm not, I'm not trying to pursue it. And a little bit later in, in the story in 1 Samuel, David actually has an opportunity to have Saul killed, if you remember the cave story. Saul goes in the cave to take care of business. And David happens to be hiding a little further in the same cave. And later on, Saul comes out of the cave and David comes out and says, do you realize I could have killed you? I'm not after you. All day long, they're twisting my words. Their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch, hoping to take my life. And I love how verse four and verse 10 are, are repetitive. Verse four says, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mortals do to me? Verse 10, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can man do to me? And then he says, I love verse 12, I'm under vows to you, God. I will present my thank offerings to you. In a New Testament context, I'll choose to praise you in the midst of whatever it is I'm facing. I choose to praise you. Is that what we do? How do we respond when the temperature is turned up? Maybe for you, the battles aren't over. But what does it look like to stop and express where your heart is at with God? And I mentioned Psalm 34. If you have a study Bible, you might have some of the detail here. In certain Bibles, it literally would just give Psalm 34. And it might say a Psalm of David, and then you go right into the Psalm. 
but I have a study Bible here and I use this and I have other Bibles and I study online and things like that. But, but um, in this Bible, it says this, Psalm 34 of David, listen to this. When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away and he left. Theme, God pays attention to those who call on him. Whether God offers escape from trouble or help in times of trouble, we can be certain that he always hears and acts on behalf of those who love him. Author David, after pretending to be insane in order to escape from King Achish, 1 Samuel 21. This psalm, again, written right about that same time, specifically after he had done the Academy Award-winning performance, and he opens with this. I will extol the Lord at all times. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Does this sound like the psalm of a person whose life is on the line and he's in imminent danger? This sounds like the psalm of a guy who's stirring himself up in his faith realizing, hey, people might want to murder me, but I'm going to choose to exalt the Lord. His praise is what's going to be on my lips. And then I love how in verse two, he says, my soul will boast in the Lord. And this is a testimony. He's basically saying, I hope you hear me rejoicing in God and let it be a testimony to to who God is to me, even though things aren't good. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. This poor man, David brings it personal. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. When you see these verses, it's easy for you to go, well, wait a minute. I call out and the Lord doesn't deliver me. I call out and nothing changes. I call out and I'm not even sure what God is saying. Can I ask you a question? If David is in the context hiding in a cave, are the trials over? Has he escaped for good and everything's gonna be fine? No. He's stirring up his own faith, making this declaration. I'm gonna choose to trust God because God has delivered me in the past and I'm gonna trust he's gonna continue to deliver me in the future. By the way, I love verse seven. That's a prayer I pray. I I might've prayed this for you at different times if you're facing tough things. The angel of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. I love that prayer. God, I pray for whatever fear you might be facing, whatever situation might feel overwhelming, I pray you would sense God's encampment around you as you walk in him. And I lo- listen, he, remember, his life's on the line from two different nations and he's hiding in a cave. Taste and see that the Lord is good. <clears throat> Excuse me? You're, you're hiding in a cave. All kinds of people want you dead. Taste and see the Lord is good? See, it's a matter of perspective. For you and I, it's a matter of perspective. 
taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Though lions may grow weak and hungry, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and longs to see many good days, keep your tongues from evil. Your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. It's a reminder. David is stirring himself up by faith. My life is rough. People want me killed. I'm gonna choose to exalt God. I wanna praise him and let that be the maturity in my heart. Is that your prayer? Is that my prayer? Or do I allow myself to fall prey to the fear, the anxiety, the quote unquote reality of my situation? It's not denying that life is hard. It's not setting aside that we face difficulties. Listen, you may not enjoy what I'm about to say, but there is no promise in the New Testament that says because you give your life to Jesus, everything's always gonna be easy. Well, Pastor Nick, you talked about being generous and I gave something generous and, and, and my car broke down. Pastor, you said spend some time in prayer and, and God will break through and I've been praying, nothing has changed. In fact, it keeps getting worse. You say all the time, let, let, let God be your refuge. Go in that betrayal, trust him, but, but nothing is different about what I'm facing. I would challenge us with this. I believe it was, gosh, I hope I get this right. Paul who said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. That we face suffering. Anybody ever given your life to Christ and things got worse? Just raise your hand. I mean, three of us? Bunch of fibbers. Anybody ever prayed a prayer and the opposite happened? Oh, a few more now. Okay, we're getting good here. We're warming it up. <laughs> there there, there are, are things about our lives that don't always make sense. But do we realize that it's a test of our faith? Are we going to choose to lean in even though things aren't always pretty and nice and good? That's why circumstances can still be really rough and we can still declare, but God is good. I love how, honestly, I love how on worship night Friday, if you missed it, I know this sounds so cheesy, but you missed out. And yeah, we'll have another one coming up January, I think is about the time we'll do it. But, but something about you and I just being in a place of surrender together. And I love how we got to pray with individuals and, and it's been a long time because of COVID, we haven't had a worship night in a long time. So Friday night, just being here and, and spending some time and having people come and, and, and receive prayer together and agree in prayer. Um, and I, I gotta be honest, when, when the night was over, I felt heavy for the burdens I got to pray for. It's an honor to pray, but I felt burdened by, by those. And I've prayed over and over for a few of them because it just, my heart is heavy for those things. But I gotta be honest, the other side of it is I'm anticipating what God will do. 
it didn't happen immediately. One of them, I even prayed. I prayed tonight, God, right here. It was Friday night. I prayed tonight, Friday night, whatever's going on, wherever that, that you would touch their hearts, that you would break down the walls of heart. I just began to pray. I'm still looking forward to it. I haven't heard anything. Why do I say that? Because there's something about you and I leaning into trust, even though we don't see it right away especially in sort of a westernized or American gospel where it's almost like fast food. Drive up, make the order, pay the money, get the food, drive away. Come to church, pray the prayer, receive the breakthrough, go home, feel good. That's kind of how we want it all the time. My wife does a great job. Um, typically, I do the exterior of our house and, and, and she'll do the interior as far as like... Um, things we, we kind of take responsibility for. And it's not that we don't share loads and all that stuff. So we do, but, but she does the decorating. Of course, if I did, it would be a disaster. So she sets up for Thanksgiving and she put a card in our bathroom on a little holder. And the card, um, the card says this. Oops. Gratefulness isn't hard. Forgetting to be grateful is what makes life hard. And I kept reading it and I kept reading it over the last, it's been up for maybe a month. And, and it's, it's, the quote is from a gal named Anne Voskamp. And maybe you already know this, maybe you don't. She's an author and, and she loves Jesus. And she wrote a book called A Thousand Gifts, A Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are. And Anne Voskamp, I love the quote, but Anne Voskamp in her backstory she talks about the tragic loss of her little sister right before her eyes when she was a kid. And she couldn't get the visuals out of her memory. And as time went on, um, right, right after that happened, by the way, her, her parents kind of walked away from faith. Like what kind of God? And, and that's it's a struggle, obviously. Um, and so she grew up in a rough situation where her, her dad was, was pretty angry. Her mom battled mental illness after this, and she ended up committing her life to Christ at 16 years old, but she still battled that imagery and what she had to face emotionally because of what happened to her sister, which again, you can imagine, that would be really, really tough. Um, after years of struggle, um, she, I'm just gonna read this real quick. This is just an article talking about who she is. Through it all, Anne struggles with wanting to live a full Christian life, not full of anger or bitterness, not focused always on the evil and wickedness in her life, her son Levi had an accident in a barn and needs surgery on his hand. When she takes him to the hospital, she hears of a young Mennonite farmer boy who was killed in an accident on his farm and also remembers the tragic illness and death of her two nephews from an unusual genetic disease. She marvels that her brother-in-law accepts the grief and still praises God for having had the boys at all. Sorrow, death, tragedy surround all things. How do you live in the middle of this? And I continue reading here. Anne comes up with a practice to change her heart from being angry and bitter and to focus her thoughts on being thankful to the Lord. She focuses on Eucharisto, which again, you get into the Greek, but it's basically the idea of communion, communing with God. And we talk about communion, the body and blood of Christ. But she gives thanks to God. She begins to make a list of 1,000 things that she loves and thanks God for them. She keeps a journal and writes down any and every item that she sees that she loves. Entries are written like this, morning shadows across old floors, jam piled high on toast, the cry of a blue jay from high up in a spruce, laundry flapping in the wind, the click of a seatbelt, book pages turning, boys humming hymns. The practice of being thankful for these things listed heals her heart and softens her life. 
Being thankful literally changes her and allows her to live with joy. By the end of the book, she's able to go to Amy's gravestone, her little sister, and be thankful for her sister, even though she doesn't understand why Amy died. The quote I opened with from her is this, gratefulness isn't hard. Forgetting to be grateful is what makes life hard. Why do I go into all that? Because today I wanna give you some homework as we end. You're like, I thought homework was only for school. You're welcome. What I want you to do is between now and Thanksgiving Day, I want you to keep a list. And whether it's a sheet of paper somewhere, tuck it in your Bible if you got one, you turn the pages, or maybe it's a phone and you got a notes page or something you use for documents on your phone or a laptop or whatever it might be. I want you to keep a list over the next 11 days till Thanksgiving Day of three things a day you're thankful for different each day. And I know that's really, to me, it's pretty simple and, and 33 things isn't a ton. I can't imagine I get like a thousand things. Wow. Um, but, but I wanna challenge us because here's what happens. And I love that, that Ann Voskamp talks about this. And this is what David was doing in Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. He was stirring himself up with gratitude in who God is. In the midst of, of his life being on the line, in the midst of hiding in a cave and the, the tests and trials for him weren't over at all. Even still, he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm being pursued, I'm being attacked. I don't like the trials I'm facing, but even still, I'm going to lean into you. And he talks about giving praise and he talks about giving thanks and he opens Psalm 34, I will exalt the Lord, extol the Lord at all times. And whether you're in person in this room today, I hope you feel the challenge and maybe you're watching online, you're sitting in your room, hey, there, type it down now. But for all of us, the beauty of giving thanks is that it deals with any sense of entitlement in our lives. And if we're all really honest, we kind of have a sense of entitlement sometimes. Like I said, well, I do good things. Good things should always happen to me. Why are bad things happening? I don't deserve this. And I'm not saying we deserve. I'm simply saying in all of us creeps in a spirit of entitlement. And it's amazing how gratitude, how giving thanks, how shifting our focus changes how we live our lives, changes the stress, changes that anger, changes bitterness. If you wanna battle this in a season like this, it's perfect. Read through the Psalms. There's all kinds of different tones to different Psalms. But I love how in the context of David hiding in a cave, he penned Psalm 56 and Psalm 34, choosing, training himself to focus on the right things. Would that we could do the same thing. Father, that's my prayer for all of us. And it's a simple homework assignment. It's probably easy to forget. Maybe we set a little calendar thing each day and at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. or right before bed or whatever, we could put it in there just every day. Three things, three things to give thanks. Just as a reminder an exercise that we might do. And, and while on one hand, well, I just say, oh, I'm thankful for this and that and this, and okay, I'm done. But I really do believe that when we take simple steps intentionally, that there's something that can change in our own hearts and lives. And I pray that we would grow in that maturity that as we face the trials that we face, as we go through whatever it is that we're going through now, that we still choose to give thanks because there always are reasons continue to grow us, continue to stretch us, continue to help us on this journey of becoming who you desire. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.